Welcome back to our Advent and Christmas series, Coming Home for Christmas. Today our text is going to be Luke chapter 1, 26 to 55. That's already been read in the service, Mary's response to Christmas. So when you hear Christmas is coming, what kind of response does that evoke from you? Because Christmas is coming evokes and brings out all kinds of responses, um, people, uh, emotional responses, and of course, excitement. Of course, there's excitement, but there's also a lot of others, like fear. Am I going to get everything done? Or worry? There's just too much to do. Um, it's going to be too hard to do it all. Anxiety. Uh, are people, what are people going to think? What, are they going to like my gifts? Are they going to appreciate my efforts? Doubt. Is it all going to be worth it? Is it even going to be enjoyable? Sadness. Christmas brings painful memories for a lot of people. Lost loved ones, people who aren't around or bad things that happened. So sadness or even anger. Uh, what is this? I, I can't stand what the world is doing to this holiday. But a lot of the responses that we have to Christmas show that we often really think that Christmas is something that we do. So in our text today, Mary is told Christmas is coming. And I think we can learn some things from her response to Christmas. So, God sends his angel, Gabriel, to visit a young girl named Mary who lived in the very humble, small, tiny village of Nazareth. Mary was a virgin, an unmarried virgin, but she was pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, and they were both descendants of David. So the angel Gabriel came to Mary and said, Greetings! O favored one, the Lord is with you. Now that word greetings is actually rejoice. So the angel is saying rejoice, be glad. God is pouring out his favor on you. God is pouring out his grace on you. And Mary was deeply, deeply troubled by this greeting uh, of the angel. And, and she was now trying to figure out what that angel, what this visit from this angel was all about. So the angel says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. God is showing you his favor. God is showing you his grace. God is pouring out his undeserved love on you. God is showing you undeserved love in this um, great privilege that he's giving you. But even more importantly, he's showing you undeserved love in what he is going to be doing through you and through the whole world because he's showing grace to the whole world through what he's going to be doing through you. And then it gets to the main point of how that was all going to happen. And he says, behold, it's not in the NIV, but it, it's there. And the he says, behold, because he's getting your attention. You are going to conceive and you're going to have a child, a son. You're going to call him Jesus. And he will be, he will be great. He will be the son of the most high. And he's going to be a king like David, but his kingdom is going to last forever. How will this be? asked Mary. 
since I am a virgin. Now, this isn't unbelief. Mary accepted everything the angel had just said to her. She just wanted to know how this was going to happen. See, Mary understood how things worked, and she knew that this wasn't the way that things normally worked. And so this angel had just told her that she's going to have a child. And so she's saying, okay, so I'm going to have a child. So, Lord, is there anything that I need to be doing then? Do I need to move the marriage date with Joseph up a little bit? How will this be? Is there something I need to do? So the angel answers her and says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And, and you're, because your child, that child to be born of you, is going to be holy. So this is going to be a child that Joseph could produce. Your child's going to be holy. This is going to be something different. And he is going to be the son of God. He's not going to be Joseph's son. He's going to be God's son. So no, Mary, you don't have to move the marriage date up with Joseph. The Holy Spirit will plant this child in you. This child to be born of you is going to be holy. This child is going to be God's son, not Joseph's son. And he says the power of the Most High will overshadow you. The, the picture there is a cloud coming over you. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, your child will be holy. He will be the Son of God. The picture is a cloud coming over you. Now, a cloud, a cloud was how God's presence was always overshadowed the temple and the tabernacle in the Old Testament. So this is the imagery the angel is using about how the power of God will overshadow you. It's like he's saying it, it's going to be like a cloud coming over you, overshadowing you, the same way that that cloud once upon a time used to overshadow the tabernacle and the temple. So for Mary, for any Israelite, this image of a cloud meant one thing. A cloud means that God is present with his people. And so... In this child, in this child, God would be present with his people in a much more wonderful way than even the temple or the tabernacle. And not that she even asked for it, not that Mary even asked for more proof or another sign, but the angel says, and by the way, your relative Elizabeth, who uh, has been known to be barren and is a little bit older than childbearing age at this point, She's going to have a child too because Mary, nothing is impossible with God. Nothing. The original text even adds another nothing there. Nothing is impossible with God. Nothing at all. And Mary said, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Let everything you've just said happen to me. So Mary responds with faith. Right? She, she was not saying here, oh, oh, okay, I get it. So, so that's how it's going to work. Oh, yeah, it makes perfect sense to me. I can't wait. As if someone just showed her how to use a computer program or something. No, she's not saying that. She's saying, 
no, I don't understand it at all. But I will trust you, Lord. I will follow you, Lord. Now, no human being can make that kind of a decision. No human being is able to just decide to have faith like that. It, it goes against every fiber of our being. Only God's Holy Spirit can work that kind of faith in our heart. God gave Mary this kind of trust. God gave Mary this kind of faith. God led Mary to simply trust in what he was doing in her life and to be his servant. So our first point today is this. Accepting God's word means that we're going to have to give up control. Accepting God's word means that you have to give up control. So we become God's servant when we give up control, when we give him control, when we give it over to him. But when we don't accept his word, when we won't trust God fully in what he's doing in our life or what he's doing for us, it's kind of our way to try to stay in control. See the difference? Accepting God's word means giving him control, not trying to control it, but not accepting his word, not fully trusting all of it, maybe just part of it, is like our way of just trying to stay in control a little bit. What are some ways that we, even as believers, try staying in control rather than just being the Lord's servant? Maybe just some examples. Things like, maybe we let our Christian faith change the way that we talk and speak, but not the way we use our money. Or um, we, we, we go to church, and we go to church regularly, but we won't accept difficult circumstances that God allows us to go through. Or we call ourselves Christians, but we live the way we want to live regarding sex and marriage. Or um, we trust in God. We trust in God, but, but we make sure we have a good insurance policy just in case the God thing doesn't work out, right? So, you know, as far as wealth and, and material things and house and savings and all that kind of stuff. So we trust in God, but, you know, just in case we have insurance policy. Mary, Mary gave up control. Mary gave up control because she trusted in God's power and she trusted in God's love. May it be to me as you have said. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Is, is that the kind of attitude of faith that, that you live with? This kind of trust. I'm your servant, Lord. May it be to me as you have said. You can tell whether or not you live with that attitude of faith. By the way, you answer these two questions. First question, are you willing... Are you willing to obey anything the Bible clearly tells us to do, whether you like it or not? And question two, are you willing to trust God in anything that he sends into your life, whether you understand why he sent it or not? If you can't answer yes to both of those questions, then you might believe in Jesus, but you aren't really saying, I am the Lord's servant. Think what having that kind of faith meant for Mary. Okay, she was, 
she was pledged, she was betrothed to be married, which was as good as being married, but she was not yet married. And because she was not yet married, everyone in her little village of Nazareth would have known that her child was illegitimate. And they all would have assumed that either she had been with Joseph before they got married or she had been unfaithful to him. And the penalty for either could be death. So for Mary to say, I am the Lord's servant, may it be to me as you have said, could have meant for her a a life of disgrace or even death. You see, God had never promised, God never told her that he was going to explain this all to her family or her friends or even her fiancé. Mary was already at the bottom of the social ladder. And if she followed God on this, if she trusted God on this, She's going to go even lower. So why would Mary, why could Mary have trusted God? Why can we trust God? Because of what he did for us. Mary could trust God because of what he had done for her. We can trust God because of what he has done for us. Because God keeps his promises. Mary recognized that this was the fulfillment of his promise. The promise. So we can trust God because he keeps his promises. And we can trust God because he loves us. He has always loved us. Mary's words, may it be to me as you have said. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Sound very similar to some words that her son would later speak in the garden. Lord, not as I will but as you will. For every sacrifice that Mary made for him, Jesus sacrificed much more for her. And that's our second point today. For every sacrifice we make, Jesus sacrificed much more for us. Like Mary, as Christians, um, we accept, all right, we, we, we get it, we accept the fact that we are going downward on the humility ladder in our society and the world that we live in. We put others first, we, we take persecution, we serve, we love, we, uh, it's not about building up our pride, it's about going down. So if that's what our life is like as followers of Christ, think of what the Son of God Think of how far the Son of God came down from heaven to earth. Think of what Jesus gave up to come here and save us. If Christianity costs us a lot, it costs him everything. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he didn't want to go through the suffering. He didn't want to go through the suffering that his father had asked him to do. But he more or less said, I'm the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. I, Father, I am your servant. May, may it happen to me the, the, the way that you have said, um, or not as I would will, but as you would will. And Jesus' complete obedience to his Father cost him everything. It would cost him everything, but it would give us everything. And it would start by giving us 
credit for his complete obedience. We have not been completely obedient to our Father, but yet by Jesus doing this, he gave you and me the credit for his perfect obedience. So we're completely given Jesus' holiness, even though we haven't been holy. He gives us credit for that. And then his sacrifice, his suffering, his sacrifice paid, paid the price for all the various many times that we have not trusted God the way that we should, that we have not given him control, that we have tried staying in control, that we have tried living life our own way. It paid for all those times. So if Mary... If Mary could trust God without knowing every single little detail that her son would do on the cross to save her, can we who have seen the rest of the story not trust our loving, sacrificing God? What God had done for her led Mary to respond with joy. So Mary goes and visits her relative, Elizabeth. And she gets to her house and she greets her. And Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. And her baby leaps for joy. And she says, blessed are you among women. You're blessed, Mary. And, and this child you're going to bear is blessed. And you know what? I'm blessed because you're here visiting me. You're the mother of my Lord. What a great privilege this is. And unlike my husband over there, you're blessed because God has given you faith to trust this. So Mary breaks out in song, in this beautiful song. We heard a, a, a beautiful rendition of it earlier. She breaks out in song, and, and, and I just, I just learned, I've always said, well, she didn't sing it because the text says she said it. Well, I just learned this week that actually it often said, um, it would say sometimes said, meaning they actually sang stuff, and this is meter. So Mary, maybe she did sing it. Whether she said it or whether she sang it, we, we see and we hear her emotion. My soul magnifies the Lord. Basically, uh, my soul makes his name great. My spirit, the very depths of my being, rejoices in God my Savior. Mary was filled with true joy because God was coming to save her. You see, Mary needed saving. She was undeserving, and now she would be considered blessed throughout history because of this privilege that had been given to her. The Mighty One had done great things for her, and Mary is filled with joy and amazement and astonishment because God had done this for her, and so we hear that joy breaking out in her song. She sings about how God has shown mercy, in other words, grace to those who fear him, in other words, those who trust him. He always has from the Old Testament into the New Testament into, the, into today. He shows mercy to those who trust him. But he blows away those who are proud in their own imaginations. Meaning, in their own, in their own minds, they think they're great, so they don't trust in God, they trust in themselves. And God's going to blow those people away. He is always loved lifting up the poor and humble while bringing down the rich and the proud. But God, finally in the end, he loves everyone, rich, poor, humble, non-humble. He loves everyone, and he wants everyone to come to trust in him and not in themselves. And that's where we see his grace. 
and the Lord has always helped. This is what our song is about. The Lord has always helped and shown mercy to those who trust in him. Just like our father Abraham did. That's how it ends. Because he's, as scripture shows us, he's everyone's father who has faith in our gracious God. So Mary responds with joy to the news of Christmas. Listen just how joy flows out of her song. You, you, can, you can just hear her amazement that this was done for her. She needed saving. She needed grace. She needed mercy. She was just as sinful and, and undeserving as we are. But the greatest thing about what God has done is that God has done it for us. And that's what you hear in her song. The, the greatest thing about what God has done is that God has done it for us. Have you grasped that? Have you grasped that? If you think that Christianity is going to church, saying a certain creed, um, and following a few certain rules, it probably is not filling you with a lot of joy and amazement. And when people ask you, oh, are you a Christian? You, you probably respond, well, yeah, I'm a Christian. You know, I work hard at it. I go to church pretty regularly and, and try to live a good life. But basically, you're living as though Christianity is something done by you. But if, like Mary, you believe that Christianity is something done for you, when someone asks you, are you a Christian? You're going to respond, <laughs> yeah, by God's grace. It, it, I, it's hard to believe, isn't it? It's a, it's a miracle because I am by God's grace. I don't deserve it at all, but God has loved me through Jesus. When we understand that Christianity is something done for us, it fills us with joy and amazement. Every moment of our life, you hear that pouring out of Mary's song. So our third point today is this. It isn't awesomeness that makes you part of God's family. It's grace. Look at all the ways that God was showing Mary his undeserved love here. Um, from the very beginning of the angel talking to her, you who are highly favored. The word favor means grace. The word grace means undeserved love. You who, are, who have been loved in an undeserved way greatly. You who have been shown a great deal of undeserved love, Mary. You have found favor with God. In other words, God... God is showing you mercy. He's showing you grace. He's showing you undeserved love. And then in her song, she says, God, my Savior. She recognizes that God come, came to save her. And she talks about the humble state of his servant, which she's referring to herself. His mercy extends to those who fear him. She was someone who feared him, someone who trusted him, and someone who just loved and appreciated his mercy. So what God did for Mary was a gift. It wasn't because of how awesome she was. And in the very same way, what God has done for you and me is a gift. It isn't because of how awesome we are. Sometimes we think that we deserve it because we're so awesome. How could God not love me? I'm the pastor of a church. How could God not be happy with me all the time? Or whatever it is that you do. You know, I... I I gave 12 hours yesterday to Advent by candlelight, working so hard in here. How could God not appreciate what we're doing? 
um, or just all the blessings, so you're at home, and all the blessings I have in my life, well, those are because I, I work hard, I've sacrificed hard. Or, um, yeah, I, I'll be going to heaven one day because I've been a pretty good person. Or I, I go to church every Sunday. I just wish everyone was as good as I am. We, we, we often think that we deserve it because we've been so good. We work so hard. We've given so much. Friends, none of that counts. That's our response of joy. That's how we tell God thank you, but none of that counts. It is all because of grace. Our, our status with God is all because of grace. He's loved us even though we didn't deserve it. The reason that joy fills our hearts, true joy, it's all because of grace. It's all because God loves us even though we don't deserve it. It's all because of grace. Um, There's a man named George who went to church one Sunday morning. And, and he, heard, he heard the pianist miss a couple notes in the opening song and he, he winced. And, and um, he, he saw a, a teenager uh, talking during a time that everyone's supposed to be bowing their heads and praying, and he was annoyed by that. And then he felt that the, um, the usher was looking at him as he was putting his offering in the, in the plate, and he was bothered by that. And five times during the sermon, five times he heard the pastor um, make a, a slip of the tongue. Five times he counted. And then during the last hymn, he, he, he walked out during the closing hymn just kind of grumbling, what a bunch of clods and hypocrites. A man named Tim went to church one Sunday. He heard the pianist play In Christ Alone and it just deeply moved him. He, um, he heard a, a young girl taking a, a moment during the service to just speak a simple message of of. The, the difference that her Christian faith had made in her life, and, and it gave him goosebumps. He was happy to see that the congregation was taking an offering to help the people in Haiti who needed it. And, and he especially appreciated the pastor's sermon because it, it spoke to him, and it, it answered a question that had been bothering him for a while. And so later on, as he was finally walking out of church that day, he thought to himself, how could anyone be here and not feel the presence of God? Both those men went to the same church on the same Sunday morning. If we think that Christianity is something that we do, it's not going to give us any kind of joy. It will bring us no joy. But if we know that Christianity is something done for us, even though we don't deserve it, it will bring us the greatest joy. So Mary is full of joy, true spiritual joy, even though she knows her life isn't going to be that rosy for a while. So our fourth point is this. You can be full of joy even on bad days. Whatever it is. You lost a job. You're low on cash. You're having some health problems. Family's having health problems. Someone, you lost a loved one. Um, just maybe doesn't seem to be a lot of excitement in your life right now. Or um, just 
just way too much stress, or even, even your Bible reading your time seems to be boring, or whatever it is that seems to be sapping your joy, through all of this, through all of this, you can still have real joy. Why? Because of the grace of God. No matter what kind of a bad day you're having, bad week, bad month, bad year, you can have not outward joy, but you can have true joy because of the grace of God, because of what God, the mighty one, has done for you and for the hope that we can look forward to because of that. Joy has a past, present, and future. Okay? Joy has a past. I didn't put the Bible passages up here, but Psalm 126 says, The Lord has done great things for you, and we are filled with joy. So the psalmist is looking back at the past and remembering the great things that God has done for us. So the joy has a past. Joy has a present. Apostle Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians, Be joyful always. So joy is something right now that we celebrate, that we live in. No matter what is going on in our lives, joy has a present. We can be have filled with joy now. And joy has a future. Isaiah writing as, as God was giving him a vision of what was going to happen in the future. Isaiah writes in chapter 61, I am overwhelmed with joy in the Lord my God. So he's looking into the future, just filled with joy, seeing the comfort and love that was coming in God's promise. Advent, the season of Advent, focuses us on all three of these things. There is joy in remembering God's gift of a Christ child at Christmas. There is joy in celebrating and experiencing God's presence with us right now, right here. And, and there is joy in anticipating Jesus coming again. So we're going to close in a moment, but just before we close, I'm going to give you a homework assignment. I want you to do this. Go home today, grab a piece of paper. If you do journals, grab your journal. Uh, if you want to put it up on the fridge, on the wall, wherever. Make a three-column chart. Past, present, future. In each column, try to come up with at least two or three ways that you recognize God's grace in your life. Just two or three ways in each column, past, present, or future, that you recognize God's grace in your life. Wonderful things that the Lord has done for you. Take that simple chart then and then use it during your prayer time. Use it during your prayer time. As you're praying with God, ask Him. Ask Him to show you His goodness and His light even during the darkest times. And then express your joy. Express your joy as you're talking to him. Express your joy because the mighty one has done great things for you. So like Tim, come with joy. Come here with joy. And leave here with joy. Like Mary, come with joy. Because Christmas is not about what you do. It's about what God has done for you. Amen. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding. Keep our hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.